Well, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and it has been such a cool thing for me to watch our church grow in giving, and that God is even growing our church through giving, not just the obvious ways, like we're able to do more ministry and extend God's love in the city more. I mean, God's actually changing our lives from the inside out through the process of releasing our grip on our things. And I want to tell you as pastor of this church how proud I am of you, how proud we are of you for the way you trust God with your resources. And to hear stories like those that you saw here, and there's tons more. So many folks gave to Let's Make Believe that we did back in December. And to see the way that God is is changing us is such, such a beautiful thing. And one of the hardest, hardest fought and yet deepest forms of transformation we can have is when we trust God with our resources and we give back to him what he's given to us. And in a second, we're going to receive our offering, which is something we do here every week. Many of us do that online. You can sign up to do that online, but we do it here in this room because we believe it's important for us to be a part of that process. And I know probably what you're thinking, like, oh, that's smart. They show the video about giving and kind of make me feel a little guilty, you know, maybe I'll put a little more in this. You know, that may be what you're thinking, and you're, you are absolutely right. That is why. No, that's not true at all. No, we, we, this is our joy. This is our joy. And for those of us who've taken that step of faith and said, I'm going to discipline myself to give back to God what he's so generously given to me, there is a joy and a contentedness and a peace that comes, isn't there? There's a release and a trust that comes. And so that's why we do it. It's not because we think God's trying to get something from us. It's that we genuinely believe God has something for us, something so much better than just money. And so uh, in a second, our volunteers are going to come forward to receive the offering. And as they do, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think about, we're in this series, Operation Transformation. Most of us, if you made resolutions, have already forgotten about them by this point in the year. And so we're going to take it up a notch. And I want you to think about, forget about resolutions. What's one thing that you really want to do in life before you die? What's one really big thing? So if you had a bucket list, this would be on your bucket list. What's one of the big things that you want to make sure that you do before you die? Maybe it's a dream you've had or something you've talked about for a while now. I want you to think about what that is. Everyone needs to have something, okay? And what I want you to do is turn to the person next to you, find out their name, say hello to them, and share with them what that one dream is, that one thing you really want to do is before you die, okay? So this is like above resolutions. Can you handle this? So we're going to do that. We're going to multitask and receive our offering at the same time. So on your mark, get set. Go. All right. All right, it's, it's exciting. See, you're starting off with the sermon. You get to talk to someone else. You don't have to listen the whole time. That's awesome. Uh, here, here's the deal. Uh, I'm not sure what yours is. Maybe it has something to do with travel. There's a place you really want to go to and visit before you die, right? Maybe it's doing something that's just absolutely stupid that you could actually die doing, right? And so it may be the very last thing you do, like skydiving or running with the bulls or whatever your thing may be. Uh, we all have each those things, right? We have that big thing that we really want to get done before we die. We really want to kind of put our stamp on. I have a couple of those. Honestly, up until this last year, one of mine was running the Chicago Marathon. It was always like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to do that way, totally going to do that one day. And then my wife signed me up to run it, right? So I had to do it. Uh, and you know, one of the ones that I'm actually right now that it's been sort of on my list for the last two years is to finish a book that I've been writing. And it's a book that I, I really think might actually be good. 
if it ever gets done. And maybe you have a project like that. You've been kind of kicking around and kicking around. It's like, and you're just so close to getting done, so close to getting done. And, and for whatever reason, like every year it kind of rolls around and you haven't quite accomplished it yet. And so when you think about that, that dream or that thing you want to do before you die, here, here's my question to you in regards to that. Why haven't you done it? Because you just had so much energy talking about it. I mean, we just talked about it a second ago. I, I tricked you, right? You had so much energy talking about it and got so excited about it. So my question to you is this, why haven't you done it? Why is it that it just kind of remains in the category of dream? It stays on the shelf just above your reach. Why is that? Now, there may be some very real reasons like, I can't afford to do that right now. Or I, you know, I need to get like, a pilot's license before I fly transatlantic. <laughs> there are some limitations that we would all agree with. In fact, there's a, a great book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, one of the best books I read last year, uh, War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. He talks about uh, those things as he calls it the resistance. That at every turn, at every angle, if there's something that matters to you, you will find resistance. No matter what it is, if it matters to you and you are to do it with your life, to see it happen, it's a dream that is meant to be realized, you will find resistance everywhere you go, around every corner. And while I believe that's absolutely true and we could all you know, sort of point to that, I think actually it goes much deeper than just external forces that are at work against you. See, I don't think it's just external forces that are at work against these dreams that God has put in our heart. I believe it's actually internal forces that are at work for something else. Let me say that again. It's not just the reason that you can talk about it with so much excitement, but you haven't actually done it, isn't just because there's external forces at work against you. It's because I believe what the Bible teaches, there are internal forces at work for something else in your life. And if we're ever going to see the dreams that we have for our life and the life that God intended us to live, we are going to have to face this thing called desire that every one of us has, all of us has desire, we all have desires for great things in our life, desires for good things in our life, and yet we don't see them accomplished. And yet the dreams continue to roll over one more year. When it comes to what we're looking at tonight, which is how our desires affect the direction of our life, how our desires determine sort of the outcome of our lives, that there, there are a few things more important that guide our lives than the desires that are within us. I believe that there are actually a couple things at work, and this is true of every single one of us. I think that there are things that all of us want, and then there are the things that you really want. I think when it comes to the reason that dream or whatever that is isn't accomplished, because it's something you want, but there is something else that you really want, that you actually want. And that's why it's not external forces that work against you. It's internal forces at work for something else. Let me explain to you what I mean. I think every one of us wants to live a healthy life. You want to set your alarm at 6 a.m. and get up and go work out. You want to do that. But you really want something else. You, want, you really want to sleep. You really want to stay warm. You really don't want any pain. And we want to be healthy, we want to work out, but we really want, really want something else. I think every one of us wants to live lives of financial freedom. You want to be able to be free and wise with your money. You may want to get out of debt, but you know what you really want? 
You really want a new pair of jeans. You really want a new TV. You really want to take that vacation even though you know you can't afford it. You really want control, don't you? There's always something at work between what we want and what we really want. You want to read your Bible. I believe that you do. You wouldn't have like come to church tonight if you didn't think the Bible was a pretty good book, right? We've talked about how this book is not just an obligation for us. It's our opportunity to know God and to live life as he intended it for us to live. I believe you want to. I believe I want to read my Bible. Do you know what I really want, though? You know what you really want? You really want to watch The Bachelor. That's true. You really want to watch Sports Center. You really want to spend your time your way. There's the things we want, and then there's the things that we really want. You want to honor God with your sexuality. You do. You want to be sexually pure for your husband or for your wife. You want to be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity. I believe, I, I believe that you want that. But do you know what happens? There's something else that we really want. We really want to just feel good. We really don't want to feel lonely. And so we will go to great lengths to accomplish what we really want. We will break promises that we've made to spouses. We will break promises that we've made to ourselves. We will break promises that we've made to God because we really want something else. I believe that tension is in every one of us. Now, God, in his loving kindness, in his loving kindness, knew that we'd be talking about this this weekend, knew that uh, I, I am much better to you as a pastor in this community if I don't teach, just teach about things, but I teach from things. That I don't just teach about God's truth and God's word, but if it actually comes out of the life I'm living, far from a perfect life, but one where I believe God wants me to speak to you about something I've experienced the last couple of weeks. At the start of this year, as we rolled around, Gene and I were evaluating our lives and talking about what we wanted to be true of our lives in 2012. One of the things is we wanted to take the reins of our lives and make sure that we continue to honor God with our bodies this year in 2012. We believe the scripture teaches that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That this church is beautiful. I love our church. 1130 West Adams is where it's at as far as I'm concerned. But this is not God's house. This is. And so when I, if I truly believe that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, what has been happening over the last couple of years is I've just continued to make more room for God. <laughs> I've, just, <laughs> I've added additions. There's been whole new wings, it seems like. Right? And that, I mean, come on, just being honest. And so, you know, I was like, let's, let's really actually take the wheel. And so uh, we spent, uh, just up until this last week, being incredibly disciplined with what we eat. In fact, we, we took time to really break ourselves of all kinds of different little tiny habits that had gotten into our health and into our eating. And during that time, uh, it was essentially like a juice fast. And during that time of living on nothing but juice, I began to understand the difference between what I want and what I really want. <laughs> because those first couple days, I, there was, I was angry at you. I was angry. I didn't even know you. But you couldn't give me coffee, and I wasn't going to drink coffee. And I, I wanted that. I wanted an epic burger. I wanted it bad. I wanted deep dish pizza bad. But there was a th- something at work that God was lovingly teaching me before I ever got up here to teach with you tonight. That there was something else that I really wanted. And in that case, it was a good thing. I really want to honor God with my body. I want to offer him the very best, and I want to offer that to you as I serve and lead in this community. And so there's a difference between what I wanted and what I thought I wanted so bad and what I really wanted. We've all seen that, haven't we? 
could be good things, could be destructive things. That, that tension is the tension of desire. And every single one of us faces the tension of desire on a daily basis. You and I are creatures of desire. You are a creature of desire. You are driven by your desires, whether you realize it or not. It is just true. There are things that you really want, and you will go to great lengths to get them. You should not be surprised. Our desires have incredible power in our life. They can drive us toward God and away from God all on the same day. Sometimes in the same moment. Our desires are that strong. And what raises the stake for us and what we're looking at in God's word together tonight is this. It's not just that there's a tension between wanting something good and really wanting something less than good. No, our dilemma is much deeper than that. Our dilemma is that we want something good and then we really want things that are actually bad. That we want to do good and we want to live a a good life and we want to, to know God and follow God, but what we really want is at times evil. That's a word we don't use often. Harmful. Destructive. And that creates some turmoil and some tension within us because there is something at work in you and in me that desires not only things that are less than God, but things that are contrary to God and go directly against God. And that's true of every single one of us. The tension is not unique to you. That's every single person, whether you've been a Christian your whole life or whether you're just here investigating God. The tension of desire is real for every single person one of us. What I want us to look at for the next few moments is how the Apostle Paul plays this out and paints this out in our lives in a way that I think is incredibly honest. It's why when I read the Bible and I read God's Word and I read this, I go, oh, okay, this guy's like me. I can relate to this person because I have felt this way and had this kind of crazy talk go on in my head before. So if you would grab a Bible, if you brought your Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter 7. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, uh, you can grab the blue Bible that's right in front of you and turn to page 1042. Romans 7, page 1042. Hey, listen to this. This is a cool thing. So those of you who are grabbing blue Bibles, I want you to hear this. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, but you want to understand and know and grow what it means to understand, uh, to have a relationship with God, this Bible is now your Bible. Please take this Bible. Here's a great thing. I want you to hear this from the pastor of this church. Steal a Bible from church tonight. Because you know what's really fun? We've run out of Bibles. So many people have been taking God's word and taking it seriously in their lives. We just had to order a bunch of new Bibles. That's pretty awesome. So if you don't own a Bible, you get to take this Bible home. That's our gift to you, Romans chapter 7. Let's look at how the Apostle Paul paints this picture. And I love what he's doing here because he's talking, he's using a metaphor that was very common in that day. It's very common in our day as well, but it's a little bit removed for us. He's using the metaphor of slavery. And that was very, very, very common in his day. This was a metaphor that they could understand. He was talking about how it feels as though, and it is as though, we are slaves to sin. That it just seems like we just, we are stuck in in sort of indentured servitude to sin. We can't break the chains of sin. But Paul is also talking about what it means to be a slave to righteousness, a slave to God. He takes that metaphor and says, we've all felt this. Let me talk with you about what it means to be a slave to God, to choose to submit to God. And so this is where we get to in Romans Seven. We're going to jump in at verse, uh, let's see, we'll jump in right around verse 14. Put it up on the screens for you as well. 
Listen to what Paul says here and see if this doesn't match some of the dialogue you've had in your own head and your own heart. Paul says that we know that the law is spiritual. When he's referring to the law, he's referring essentially to God's word, God's commandments, God's rule, God's way. He says that we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Anyone ever felt unspiritual before? I am unspiritual, sold as a, here's the metaphor, slave to sin. I cannot break these chains. I do not understand what I do. Now listen to what he says. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Okay, what I want to do, the good that I want to do, that I want, I don't do. But what I hate is actually what I really want. And I end up doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, then I agree that the law is good. So basically what he's saying here is, because I am a slave to sin and I keep on choosing it, I basically prove that this, I need this in my life. I basically prove that I, I, I need someone else's rule or way in my life because it's as though I'm a slave to sin and I keep going back and back and back. Paul goes on to say this, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living where? In me. See, it's that internal force. It's sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire, listen to this, to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, I know, I know that we've all experienced that. You want to do good, but for whatever reason, you just, you don't carry it out. You don't see it through. It's as though there is another force at work for something else in your life, isn't it? He goes on to say this, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that is living in me who does it. You tracking so far? So I find this law at work. Paul says, now this is what I actually see at work in my life. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. The tension is real. Even though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my what? Inner being, I actually delight in God's law. I actually know that it's good. You wouldn't be here tonight or watch it online if you didn't actually somewhere in your life believe that it either is good or it might be good. He says that in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Can you feel Paul's exhaustion? Have you ever felt it yourself? I want to do it, but I don't. Not only do I not do the good that I want to do, I end up doing something harmful and destructive. What is going on inside of me? Paul comes to this conclusion in Romans 7, 24. What a wretched man am I. If he were to write that today, he'd say, I am a hot mess. Like, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Here's our hope, and this is what we've based and built this church on. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, inside, all by myself, there is a war that is going on. I want to do good, I don't do it. Not only do I not do it, I end up doing evil. What can be done with someone like me? Paul says, my only hope does not come from within me. It comes to me through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. That's our hope for transformation. 
That's what Paul comes to. Paul says, I can't, I can't be good enough. Not only can I not be good enough, I'm worse. I end up doing things I never thought that I would do. Paul is breaking down a tension that is hardwired into our human condition. And I believe it is at the root of just about every single bad habit, addiction, unhealthy relationship, or part of your life that you don't like about yourself. I think you will find this at work in every single one of those. As harmful and destructive and as dead-ended those things may seem or may be, honestly, there is at some point a reason why you chose to do them. Now, this may seem like a no-brainer to some of you, but the reality is the reason that you and I choose to sin, choose to do things that are not only not good but actually hurtful, harmful, evil, and destructive is because at some point those things felt good. Felt good. I mean, let's be honest. I know we're in church, but to be honest, it feels, feels good. <laughs> if it didn't, why would you do it? Why would you bring all that harm and destruction and unhealth on your life? Why would you continue to wreck that marriage? Why would you continue to live in that broken relationship? Why would you continue to go back to that addiction if it didn't at some level have some little return, some promise that it would feel good? And what we see here at work that Paul is describing, I think, is a a principle that applies to every single one of our lives. And it's this. It's that what we desire, we delight in. That thing where we talked about what I really want, when I figure out what it is that I really want, I go after it, and I delight in it. And at the same time, what we delight in, guess what we want more of? That same thing. So what, what I desire and set my mind on, I am going to have it. And if it did not have some sort of morsel of a return, then I wouldn't go after it. But it does, and I get hooked, and so I delight in it. And then the thing that ends up having is this. What I delight in, I desire even more. I want it even more. Because sin always works on a principle of diminishing returns. What felt great last year doesn't feel as good this year. It won't feel as good next year. And so we keep going back to that thing, trying to get delight from it and desiring it and delighting in it and desiring it until we see this tension lived out and played out in our own lives. I know it can be big, harmful, obvious, destructive things, it can be seemingly simple things as well. The principle still holds. What we desire, we delight in. And what we delight in, we continue to desire even more. I saw this in my own life as a kid. Early on, this is, I think, true of every one of us, I had a desire for acceptance. Right? I was the last of five kids. We had a very full and crazy house. And so I had to fight for attention. And I remember the first time, I remember the first time I made my brother Justin laugh. He's the next oldest brother. I remember how good that felt. I made my older brother laugh. I'm not even sure if, I didn't know if he knew I existed. And if he did, I'm pretty sure he didn't like me. And yet I got him to laugh. I'm like, oh, that felt good. And then I realized, you know, I'm actually kind of funny. I can make people laugh. I just did. Right? <laughs> And so early on, I learned this thing. Oh, I desire that. What's that? Acceptance? I felt good. I think I want some more of that. And so guess who becomes the class clown? This guy. Because I need that attention. Because that feels good. 
I like having all eyes on me. That's why this is a horrible career choice for me, right? <laughs> and so I continued to pursue it all through school. I continued to do whatever it took to keep attention and all eyes on me. And after a while, I found like being funny is great. But you know, at some point, like when I exaggerated the truth of this one person, they thought I was much cooler than I actually was. And so I just said, well, I'm just making the truth sound better. But what I began to do early on was a habit of lying, of twisting the truth so that people would like me, accept me. And you just continue to fast forward the tape. And what do you see? You can find someone without our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ interceding on my behalf. Someone who could be very easily addicted to your approval of me and your acceptance of me. And you would find someone incredibly inauthentic and saying or doing whatever I thought you needed me to do so that you'd like me. Why? I desired attention. So I delighted in it when I got it. And when I got it, I wanted it more. So I'd do whatever it took to get it some more, to get it some more. Do you see the principle at work? What we desire, we delight in. What we delight in, we desire. That is what Paul is talking about. It plays itself out in every one of our unhealthy habits and patterns and addictions in our life. Gossip. You just you drop a little something about someone. And you get people's response. <gasps> How did you know? You knew that? Is that true? And now all of a sudden, you're on the inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what else is true? Oh, I heard this. And you start to delight in that little attention that you get, that acceptance that you get. And you want it more. And you want it more. And pretty soon, your words are more harmful and destructive than they are helpful and healthy. You play out just any addiction. I mean, honestly, any addiction. Food. Play it out. What we delight in, what we desire, we delight in what we delight in, we desire. Play it out with work. You're working so hard for your boss's approval. You're working so hard for the acceptance of someone who probably in five years from now won't even remember your name. But just a little bit more, just a couple hours longer, just so I can get a little bit more of what we desire, we delight in, what we delight in, we desire. We keep going. Alcohol. Anyone who's struggled in this room with alcoholism, going too far, you know that principle of diminishing returns, how much harder you have to work to get what you got last time. Drugs. Sex. Pornography. It works. The principle works all throughout our lives. And sadly, the conclusion that many, I believe, well-intentioned religious people have come to when they see how harmful and destructive this principle is and can be in our lives the conclusion and the strategy they've come up with is that we have to cut out all desire from our life. We have to cut it off of the past, suffocate desire. Because if I don't feel that desire and then I won't know what it feels like to delight in it, and if I can do that, then I can sort of cut myself off from all the, the harm and destruction that comes with every one of those patterns we just talked about. And so that's why you have the stance of many sort of religious people is that it's all about what you don't do. So you don't, we don't watch those kind of movies. We don't say those kind of words. We don't drink those kind of drinks. We don't hang out with those kind of people. We don't do, we don't do, we don't do, we don't do. And while again, I believe it's well-intentioned, it is a flawed if not failed strategy. It's essentially like saying, you know what, I don't want to breathe any unhealthy air or carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide air. I don't want to breathe that, so I'm just going to hold my breath. That way I won't have to take any of that in. Or I don't want to eat any bad or unhealthy processed food or any of that kind of stuff, so I'm just not going to eat. Because that way I can avoid that. 
Right? That, that's about as logical as that conclusion is. To kill and cut off all desire. Why? Because you are actually born with desire. It's part of your human condition. In fact, your desire was given to you from God. But here's the deal. It's for God. Not just for you. Desire is a gift from God, but it is for God. And so to try and cut it off and just suffocate it is not a healthy, long-term strategy. God has a much better idea. And it's found in Psalm 37. I want you to look at this idea that the psalmist writes in Psalm 37.4. In fact, I'm going to have us read it out loud. In fact, I'm probably going to have us read it out loud twice because it's so good. This is a way that is so much better for us that leads to greater desires and ultimately leads to life. Let's read these words together. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's read that again. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. Don't try and choke out to cut off your desires. It is impossible to do so. Honestly, if you know people who've tried that as their strategy, they are some of the grouchiest, grumpiest people in the world. They don't actually really enjoy life. And after a while, they're going to break. And they're going to either end up having secret, hidden lives that no one else knows about, or they're just going to go off the deep end. It is not a long-term sustainable strategy. Rather, God says, redirect your desire to me. Delight in me. And I will give you the desires of your heart. Soul City Church, I, I don't think that our problem when it comes to our desires is that you're sinning too much, although we all are. But I don't think it's that we sin too much. It's that we don't delight in God enough. And you can spend your whole life on sin management. But you will not live. You may spare your life, but you will not live your life. I don't think our issue is sinning too much. I think it's not delighting and desiring God enough. Tasting and seeing how good God is. And the beautiful thing that God promised us is this. When you delight in me, he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, you no longer have to be behind the wheel of your desires. You no longer have to manage the portions of desires that you get in your life. That's God's job. And when you delight in him, he will not only give you the desires of your heart, listen to this, he will give you right desires. You see that? He'll not only give you the desires of your heart, the things that you really, really, really want down beneath, he will actually give you right desires. Because your desires are from God, but who are they for? For him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I've been able to, again, God in his loving kindness has allowed me to see this this last week knowing that we would be talking about what we're talking about here this weekend. I worked as hard as I could, and then there was work to pay attention to the goodness of God in my life this week, to delight myself on a daily basis in the Lord, to literally point to God's goodness on a regular basis. And God gave me so many moments. There are way more that I missed, but here's a few that I caught this week. Earlier this week, on Monday morning, actually this last week, got up with the kids and 
Um, again, in our family, we don't need alarm clocks. Our kids are up at 5.30 or 6 a.m. every morning. And they're 6 and 3, so they've yet to learn how to use the blender or make themselves scrambled eggs. So one of us has to go downstairs with them. And so we go down. Jeannie's getting ready. I'm down with the kids. I've made them their breakfast. And I'm sitting on a green chair, which is right by our little kitchen counter. And our, our kids are eating breakfast. And I'm reading God's Word. And I'm continuing the story that we looked at last week from the life of Jacob. And I'm reading about Jacob's children and all that came from them, how the 12 tribes of Israel came from this one promise to Jacob, which is ultimately given to his father Isaac and ultimately given to his father Abraham. And I'm so overwhelmed with God's goodness and provision through the life of Jacob, and I see out of the corner of my eye my kids. And I'm just caught up in how good God is. And there are a ton of things I would, oh, I wish we had this, and I wish we could do this. And, but in this moment right now, God, yes, I see that you are so good. Your word is alive to me. And I see it in your word, and I see it in our family. And God, I'm, I'm aware of your goodness in my life. I want more. I want more. Later in the week, I was able to uh, have lunch with Trent, a guy I've known now for 12 years, 13 years. And as Trent and I sat together, and he began to just tell me all that God was doing in his life, how God is literally transforming his life, and talking about how God is redeeming patterns that were on repeat, and God is breaking them and redeeming those patterns. I'm working hard to to fight back tears in this lunch with Trent, and I kind of get back to my office and get back to work, and I'm just overwhelmed with God's faithfulness in Trent's life and in our friendship and our relationship. God, thank you for how good you are and how good you have been. I want more. I want to delight in you more and more and more. Was able to hang out with a couple guys from our small group the other night. And as we're having dinner, we're hanging out, and I'm sitting next to my friend Mark, who's really genuinely become a dear friend to me over the last year. And as I'm sitting with Mark, and we lead our small group together, I'm going, God, I could not have written this into my story that there's a guy in my life who cares about me and is willing to speak the truth to me and to love me, to stand beside me. God, you are so good. Who am I? I'm that wretched guy that Paul talked about. Who am I that you would be so good to me? So good to me. The next morning to be able to go out on a date with Jeannie, we have what we call breakfast dates where our kids are at school and we just get time to just be with Jeannie and I, just the two of us. As we're walking through, and we're, you know, we're on a romantic date, but we're still doing our 2012 goals and our big dreams, and that's how we roll. And so we're doing all that, and I'm just caught up in a moment just laughing at how much I love Jeannie and how totally unique and utterly different from me that she is <laughs> and how she believes that that's how all people are supposed to be and that I'm the different one. And so like, I'm just caught up in this moment. God, thank you for my wife. 15 years. God has been good. Yesterday I'm outside playing in the snow with our kids. And we did a little urban sledding. We built a little snow ramp down our stairs (laughs) in the backyard. Probably really dangerous. And and you know how it is when the the snow is so heavy that it, it silences everything else around. And the only sound I could hear is my kids squealing and laughing. And the joy, and I I have to remind myself, Jared, snow is not a curse from God. (laughs) 
they actually like it. Like, try and be present. And as I'm there and I'm thinking about this sermon and my head's racing to a hundred things and, man, I want to make sure I do this, make sure I get this done. I'm just going, no, God, you have me right here, right now. And you are so good. I want more. You see, just, and that's, that's probably like 5% awareness of the goodness of God in my life. But the more I delight myself in him, do you know what begins to happen? He gives me the desires of my heart. And the things that I thought I really wanted, he replaces with the things that I really need. He comes in to do that. He does that. That war, that tension that Paul spoke about that's within every one of us, that tension of desire, that war that is raging inside of us, he comes and brings peace to that. He comes to me. And that God I'm seeing and experience is so good. The reason I'm tender with you right now is because I am overwhelmed by God's goodness. And I want more. And I want it for you. Because when you taste and see how good God is, guess what begins to taste less appealing to you? The sin. The harmful, unhealthy, broken, and evil things in our life begin to lose their hold and their taste. They're always still going to be there. That's the tension of desire. But when you taste and see how good God is, it changes what you're hungry for. and You want more. And so I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and I want to give you two questions that I really want you to wrestle with this week, two questions to consider. If you want to taste and see how, God, how good God is, to delight yourself in the Lord and to allow him to change the desires of your heart, two questions I want to put up on the screen. First one is this. How can I delight myself in God today? Seems like a no-brainer, but imagine if you started every day this week by starting with that question. First thing, when your feet hit the ground, because it's going to be 6 a.m. because you actually got up to your alarm to go work out, and your feet hit the ground, and you say, God, how can I delight in you today? I thought, who do I need to be around that's going to help me delight in the Lord? Ben Dodgson came over for dinner last week at our house. Just being in his presence makes me love God more. Makes me want God more. I want to be around him. I want to be like him. Who do you need to be around? Where do you need to go? Maybe you're wired for nature. And so you just need to get out. And even though it's 20 degrees, you just need to be out and go for a walk. Go find a stretch of trees that might still have some leaves on them. And just go, God, I need to be here because when I'm out here in your creation, it is so easy for me to delight in you. Who do you need to be around? Where do you need to go? What do you need to do? What song do you need to be playing in your ears? I mean, literally. What do you need to be listening to that can give you a new song in your heart? Maybe it's silence. You just need to get some silence in your life. Maybe you need to unplug your TV for a week so that you can be more present to delight in the Lord this week. But what if when your feet hit the ground each morning this week, you said, what do I need to do today to delight in the Lord? Who, where, what can I do? And then this question, when that tension of desire comes, because it will come to you this week, you will be tempted tonight before your head hits the pillow, ask this question, will this desire that I'm facing right now lead me closer to God? Catch yourself in that moment. Catch yourself and say, okay, this thing that I'm about to give myself to, this thing that I believe somehow is going to have a return, and I can continue the cycle of desire and delight, desire and delight, but will this actually draw me any closer to God? And if not, this is a big one, 
don't do it. Choose something that will actually feed your soul and draw you closer to God. Go to that who, go to that what, that where, do that whatever that thing is that's going to allow you to delight yourself in the Lord this week. Because this isn't just an abstract concept. This is a reality that comes from the goodness of God, a God who desires for you to delight in him, who desires for your desires to be redirected towards him. And so to help us do that, we're going to sing here in a moment. What I want to do is this. I want to read to you a couple verses. I want to read to you some truth about who God is. You let these get into your heart and center your heart and fill your mind with the reality of just how good God is. Again, I don't believe our problem is that we're sinning too much. It's that we're not delighting in God enough. And so let this be a gift to you from God here in this moment. Listen to how good God is. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you which you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. Let me say that again. The Lord is good to all. Let me say that again. The Lord is good to you. He is good to you. And he has compassion on all he has made. Thank you, God, for the truth of who you are. God, we don't want to settle for anything less. We don't want to seek out anything less than you. It is our desire to delight in you. That is what we really, really want. That is what you've actually created us for. God, thank you that you are the one. You are the one that we can direct our desire towards. And thank you, God, that you, when you come into our lives and when we trust you completely and pursue you fully with our lives, the grip that sin has in our life begins to loosen. And we begin to long for and desire for and hunger for something more. That is you. Thank you, God, that we can even come to you now because you came to us and offered yourself to us and made us fully available to us. Thank God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings peace to the war that rages in every one of our souls. We pray that peace now in the name of Jesus. Amen.